want to remind us of some things before we launch into Revelation 6, because if we don't receive this reminder, kind of what we did last week, then Revelation 6 can be super, super difficult for us to even just trudge through. And so if you were here last week, we met in the chapel and we really focused in on just knowing who Christ is, knowing who Jesus is, knowing who the Lamb is in Revelation, because we have to really get that ingrained in us for us to pursue and see the demise of the world and of evil and really the end of time as we know it. And so I'm going to read a little bit from last week. I'm not going to read all the references, but I want to just, just push this reminder back into your hearts and minds if I could. The revelation of Jesus. He is the one who is and was and is to come. He is the faithful witness. He is the Alpha and the Omega. His hair is white as wool and snow. He is the first and the last. He holds the keys to death and Hades. He is the amen. He is the root of David. He is the shepherd of his people. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. He is the word of God. And he is the bright and morning star. Revelation 6 is where the four horsemen of the apocalypse come on the scene. The first seal is open. And for many of us, this is when we start trying to say, let me figure this out. Let me figure out what time period this is. Let me figure out what all these things represent. Here to tell you, I'm not going to give you any of that tonight. The four horsemen, not going to be a literal four horsemen. They're not your favorite wrestling team. They're not you and your three bros as y'all just wreak havoc in high school. All right? It is definitely something that John saw, but what they represent cannot be summed up in one person and definitely not a person on a horse. That would be weird. That would be odd. But John saw these things and he had to give some frame of reference for them. And so this is what he saw and this is how he relays it to us. And it is important for us to hear this tonight. And so if you've got your notes, you're going to be busy. You probably will not be able to write as fast as I talk. And there's a lot going on. So turn to your neighbor and say, get ready. Turn to your other neighbor and say, it's go time. And turn around to the person behind you and tell them, it's going to be all right. So Revelation 6 tells us something that we need to hear as followers of Christ, and that is simply that there is meaning behind the mayhem that comes in his message. The message is this. We as followers of Christ must move from triage. That's a, that's a word we use in the military. It's where you say, you know, this person is yellow, green. Uh, this person is black. That means they ain't gonna make it. This person's red. And you divide people out. That's what a triage station is. And you know, these are the people that we can't help right now and they're gonna be okay with just minimal effort and minimal help. Then you have the next category, and these people need more help, more resources, but they'll make it. The people in red, those are the people that they're going to need significant resources. They may not make it. And the people in black, the people that you tag black, they ain't making it. It would take too much, take too much for them to make it. 
You have limited time, limited resources. If you're on the battlefield, they get tagged black. And if they make it, to God be the glory. But you can only save so many people. Now, Christ can save everyone, but as we look at this idea of triage, I want you to think about your life and the lives of people that you know. Because I'm going to have a really dad talk with you tonight. This is something that you can really grasp a hold of, a principle that you can really put into the core part of your life. And if you grab a hold of this, your life in Christ can be radically different from where it has been and where it would be if you didn't apply this to your life. Because for most of us, triage is where we live as a follower of Christ. We're just hoping to make it from black to red to yellow to green. We're just hoping to make it to the next breath. Think of it like this. Went to the ER the other day. That's the emergency room for those of you that are challenged when it comes to letters representing words. Went to the ER and went with the purpose, with this intent in mind, that if I go to the ER, that I will receive medical attention, the correct medical attention, hopefully, and then that medical attention will mitigate my symptoms so that I will have a better course of life over the next few days. Does that make sense? And so it's kind of like what most of us do in Western medicine is we go to the ER when we have a cold and we can't make it to our local doctor. But that is not the purpose of the ER. That is not what it was intended for. The purpose of the ER is, I may die, I need help. That's the purpose. We don't use it like that, but that's the purpose. Well, for you and I, for, for our, 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 our spiritual life, we use Christ like the ER. We go, I feel like I could die and go to hell. So let me get some Jesus. Can you prescribe me two pills of Jesus so that I might go back out into the world and function as a fully, well, not devoted follower of Christ because, I mean, let's be real, I'm in college. Can I could just get two doses of Jesus so when I sleep with my boyfriend or my girlfriend or I get slap drunk or do drugs or I sin in some way that I know I shouldn't, that I won't feel quite as guilty or quite as bad so the guilt won't overcome me? Can I get some of that? I'll take two pills of that and I'll call you in the morning, okay? And that's the way we approach it a lot of times. And this is a triage effect. This is like, hey, let me make it from one emergency to the next. But that is not what Christ wants for us. That is not the plan of salvation. The plan of salvation is not about triage and making it from one breath to the next breath to the next. That's just surviving. I've come that you might have life to the full. That's thriving. And so it's not triage that he asks us to participate in. You know what he's in the business of? Transformation. Your life radically changed, totally different. It is renewal. It is restoration. And so as we look at Revelation 6... We have to have this idea in mind. Evil will be unleashed. You say, well, Casey, what is it doing now? It's unleashed. How do you know this? Look at verse 12. 
Revelation 6, 12, I watched and he opened the sixth seal. Casey, you skipped a bunch. Hold on. I got to get this where you're at. All right. I watched and he opened the sixth seal. This is 6, 12. I opened and watched the sixth seal. And there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair and the whole moon turned red blood. The stars fell to the earth and the late figs dropped from the fig tree and were shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll rolling up and every mountain and every island was removed from its place. So Casey, that hasn't happened. It hasn't? Are you sure? Because I'm pretty sure that the people in California might disagree with you on the whole earthquake thing. You say, well, Casey, the sky hasn't been rolled up and blah, blah, blah. Nor may it ever. You see, for John, he is looking at this stuff and he's saying, these are traumatic world events. These are life-altering worldly events where creation is being undone. Do you see that? An earthquake is creation being undone. If the if the sky were to roll up and go away, that is it being undone. So creation is being undone. Does that happen around us even today? Yes. Yes. It happens around us all the time. Do people come to know Christ when creation becomes undone? We could go find an earthquake, hang out for a while, and we'll see how many of us fall on our knees and cry out to the Lord. I'm going to go for that. Anybody else? I lived in Florida for quite a long period of time growing up, and it was always amazing. After a hurricane, people's houses are gone. All of a sudden, they find Jesus. Where did he go? Was he absent beforehand? Nope. What about 9-11? You weren't, you know, really like thinking complete thoughts. But church houses were full. Now imagine, if you will, the coronavirus makes it all the way to the U.S. and of A. It makes it here and it becomes a pandemic. Y'all watch the Netflix series, Pandemic? If you, if you haven't, don't. You may throw up. And then you'll just spread a disease and we'll all be going downhill and it'll be like the Netflix throw-up disease, the plague of 2020. And who knows how that'll get cured? Who knows? There'll be a pill, you know, an ointment. I don't know. I'm not a medical professional. But what if a pandemic hit us? People find Jesus? So, Casey, that doesn't happen today. Roommate breaks up with boyfriend. World shattered. I'll never, I'll never know the love of another boy like Jacob. He loved me so long and so hard and so good. I'll never know. All right, then. I just said love. I didn't say sex. Golly, get your minds out of the gutter. Oh, wait, I forget y'all are college students. They generally, you know, resides there at most times. Riley, get your mind out of the gutter. 
It is difficult to think about all these things happening, but when bad things happen, when, when emergency happens, people turn to Christ. But is that the intent of the gospel? Is it there for us to triage our lives with, to fix ourselves, to patch ourselves up, to use a really bad picture, to patch ourselves up? We get one patch here and one patch here and one patch here and one patch here. I don't wanna be transformed. I just wanna be a patchwork of emergency protocol. I just wanna be a patchwork of, hey, I wish I could get totally fixed and totally renewed, but I just want some patches just so I can get to the next time in life. But don't transform my life. God, don't use my life for your glory. Don't really have your way with me. Just have your way around me and, you know, maybe fix my knee if you can. And so as you look at these four horsemen, this is where the earth is at. And as these things continue in our life, it is Christ calling people to him by letting sin run its course so that people would know there is one God and they can cry out to him. Some will choose to cry, some will not. But here in this instance, the elders, the saints do cry out. It is reminiscent of the Exodus. It is reminiscent of Jesus. Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Let my people go. God, save us. God, help us. You're the only one who can. And so as we look at this tonight, I want you to keep this in mind as we move forward. So it says, I watched in verse one of chapter six, it says, I watched in the lamb open the first scroll. And so there's authority that's just put on the lamb again, even from the beginning, that he has authority. He's the only one that can open the scroll. So let's establish that. And then his angels, the people that are beneath him, beneath the lamb, they have authority even over the things that will come out of the seals because they're the ones that say, come. It says, then I heard a voice of a living creature saying like a voice of thunder, come. It's not, the, it's not Christ saying that. It's a living creature. It's an angel. It's an angelic being says, come. And if you look at most instances where these seals are broken, it is the lamb who opens and then one of the angelic beings says, come. And so there is this upper, this is echelon of authority that Christ is the lamb and he can say, stop, go, stop, go, because he is the one in control. And so don't negate that as you read through this passage because it gets kind of weird. Verse two, I looked and there before me was a white horse and its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. He's like, okay, now time for interpretation. White horse, conquest. Is this what Christ is about? Is this rider Christ? Is Christ built on conquest? When Christ has a weapon, what does he generally have? A sword, not a bow. And so for you and I, as we look at this, what John is saying to us is this is a false hope. This is a false hope. And many of us, we look at the world around us and we have false hope in different things, maybe government or institution. And we say, you know what? That will get me through. That will help me as I walk through life. It is this degree, it is this law, it is this order in life. And what John is saying here is that that 
is a false hope. It's not real. It's a man-made thing. It can go away in an instant. Just ask any country that has a dictatorship. That everything you own can be taken away from you in one instance just by one person going, no, you can't have that. I'm in control. Everything you hope for is gone. You say, well, Casey, that doesn't happen in the United States, but it happens all around the world in, in, a, in a lot of different places and in Arkansas. Then you have the second rider is the fiery red one. And its rider was, and this is another authority pointer here. It says, given authority, take peace from the earth. And the, so this is, the red rider is the war horse. And you say, Casey, we, we, we don't have war in the United States. We're, we're not necessarily involved in war all the time. And I'm certainly not involved in war. Now, if we were to go to war, which we are at kind of technically, I mean, we've been fighting the same war for about 12 or 13 years without winning. And I'm not to say, you know, we're like, we're winning. I'm like, we've been fighting it 13 years. Not sure if we are. I mean, you know, just figure that out on your own. Okay, whatever your political opinion is. But think of this, okay? Think of this. Are you at war with anyone? Well, certainly not. I'm a follower of Christ. I would not be at war with anyone. But we are. In fact, we're at war with a lot of people. Are you saying I'm racist? Nope, not saying that. Are you saying I'm a Nazi from Simsboro? Nope, not saying that. <laughs> not saying that. What I am saying is this is for our society, for us as people, we're at war with a lot of different people. You want to know why? Because we value competition over cooperation. Keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak, keeping up with our neighbors is what we desire as paramount as the God of our life. And it really does destroy a lot of lives because we compare ourselves to the people around us. We're in this constant competition. And I just want to ask you, what are you winning? It's the adage of you're caught up in the rat race and you know who wins the end of the rat race? A rat. And so what are you competing for? If it's not the love and adoration of Christ, then get out of the competition. How does this play out in the college student's life? College student comes in. I can't make a B. I was like, yeah, you can. You just, just stick like this and just, you, you, I mean, it's a little difficult to attach it up here, but you bring it down like this and there's one hump and then a two hump and it's just one hump, two hump. You got it? That's, that's, a, that's a big B. Now, if you want a little B, just take out one of the humps. It's just real easy. Engineer, office. I was like, do you realize that you're one of the most difficult majors that God ever created this out of heaven? And you're asking for straight A's? That's a bold prayer. Not saying that God can't do it, just not sure he can do it through you. <laughs> just want to encourage you. But you have students that, and like, who are you competing against? When you, you say, well, I want to be able to wear the regalia, you know, the regalia. You know, I want that cord that says, I know something. I want to wear the cord that says, I, don't, I didn't learn jack here. <laughs> I paid a whole lot of money and I'm as dumb as I ever was. <laughs> Somebody hire me quick. 
not negating the process, but university was never meant to be a finishing school. It's meant to be a finding place. And so if you walk out of there and all you get is a piece of paper with your name on it, and you're like, man, that, and you didn't learn anything. Because if you didn't learn about yourself, and we can just pull God back for a minute. If you learn about yourself and how you interact with others and a little bit more about the world that you live in and how you can better the world that you live in, then guess what? Then you don't even want to be a citizen. And that's what university was designed to do, to build better citizens. But we get caught up in the competition. I mean, how much clanking do you need across the stage? Just get you some bells and put them on your shoes. And when you go, people be like, well, they must have got a big award. They're clanking a lot. Just make up your own organization and give yourself like seven stoles. I was a president, treasurer, valedictorian, salutatorian of all these organizations. People are like, that's impressive. But yeah, I'm the only one in them. Competition, war. We war with ourselves as well. War with ourselves as well. Paul says that uh, I want to do good, but I don't do good. And this fight inside. And so even war with ourselves. Next horse, he says... When the lamb opened the third seal, and again, the creature says, come, so there's authority there, and the black horse rides out. The black horse, and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand, and I heard a voice among the say of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a day's wages, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. And this is often called the, the rider of famine. As I look around, I do not believe that anyone here currently suffers from this horse or this rider. I won't point fingers, but you know who you are. And we're praying for you, especially in the coming festivities of Mardi Gras. And when you say, Kizzy, I don't, I don't know famine. We live in a very rich country. You are in the top 10% of the world as far as economic wealth. No, you, as you currently exist. Some of us may be in the top 5%. You want to know why? You have a place to lay your head. And you have one thing that most of us discount at this age. You have a thing called an automobile. Most of us in here have an automobile. You're like, well, I devalue my automobile because I have to, you know, <clears throat> get it jumped off or, you know, this doesn't work or that doesn't work or, you know, you have to go outside to roll down the window or whatever weird thing your car has. But some of you, I'm pretty sure you're drug dealers judging by the rides you drive. I don't want to point fingers but um, I'm not pointing fingers here a lot, but y'all are some drug dealing. If Connor was here, I'd point my finger at him, Connor Thompson, because he's a, he's a daggum drug dealer. Josh may be one too, because his ride's pretty fly, and I'm pretty sure he's selling something, you know what I'm saying? So y'all, if y'all are buying from Josh, quit it now, okay? And so this idea of famine, this horse of famine, how does this as followers of Christ living in Ruston, Louisiana come to bear? Well, this is it. If you are a person and you are living not by give us this day our daily bread, then for most of us, we live out of excess rather than necessity. 
I'm preaching to myself. All of us probably in Western culture are living out of excess and not out of necessity. How do we know this? How many pairs of shoes do you have? How many feet do you have? Do they equate to each other? Negative, because you don't have 16 feet. You say, well, I, I, mean, I mean, these shoes are for different occasions. True. You're talking to someone who had, like, I love tennis shoes. I, I, I love tennis shoes. I'm, I'm sorry, Lord Jesus, forgive me, for I know not what I buy. I love tennis shoes. Do I love leather shoes? Heck no. Don't like leather shoes, don't got no use for them. You know what? Me and the cow, we ain't got no beef to him, to him, to me, to me. I like tennis shoes. Do I play tennis? No. Do I play basketball? No way. But I like tennis shoes. I like running shoes. And so that's where, that, that's, look, when I read this, when I read this, I said, you know what? A day's wages, three quarters. These are people starving is what this is. This is these are famine rations that they're receiving. And I'm like, I'm definitely, <sighs> here it is. This is going to hurt. I'm definitely living out of greed and not grace. I'm living out of greed and not grace. Because grace says that he is sufficient for me and he's the only thing that matters. Greed says, I need a different pair of tennis shoes to make me feel like a man or to make me feel good. Now maybe yours is jewelry Maybe yours is quarter zips. Maybe yours is shirts with small animals above the pocket. I don't know. And I know some of you are like, don't call me out like that. Hey, look, I'm calling myself out. One of our ministers here, he's a clothes guy. Like, not a closer. He's a clothes guy. Like, he... He dresses what I call snazzy. You know, you know this idea of snazzy? You know what I'm saying? Some of you may call it bougie. In other words, he looked like he just walked out of a GQ magazine. He's wearing brands that you can't pronounce. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, what? where did you get that shirt? He's like, online. It's custom fit. I'm like, did, a, did an old man come to your house with a tape measure and, and you get the shirt? No, he's like, no, you hold up your phone and it measures. I was like, naked? <laughs> he's like, well, you kind of. I'm like, what do you mean kind of naked? Do like, you cover your eye? I don't understand what you're doing. But you get measured and you get a tailored custom fitted shirt. And I'm like, I don't want that because mine would do like this. And like, Who wants that? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I don't, I, I'm trying to cover it up, not show it off. You know what I'm saying? Hello, how you doing? <laughs> well, that's what I'm talking about. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Some of y'all are like, I'm with you. I'm me and you. That's what I'm saying. 
Living out of greed and not grace. Living out of greed and not grace. As we move forward, we see the Lamb open up the fourth seal. I heard a voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come, authority demonstrated again. And I looked, and there before me was a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death. And Hades was following close behind him. And they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. And this rider, this pale rider of death, this pale rider of death. For us, this fourth rider is probably the one that affects us as followers of Christ in Western culture the most. It is the one that we're just eat up with, honestly. Because we have the most advanced society. We really do. We live in the first world. Things are at our fingertips, literally. The world, screens, blah, blah. But it is, it is us. We, we're the people that consume the most drugs in the world. You say, you mean illegal? Uh-huh, and legal. We're it. We win. Congratulations, we're all druggies. We're also the number one society as far as mental illness. So we have everything we want. And we hate ourselves more than any other people. And so by life, by living day to day, we're killing ourselves. And so as this writer comes, comes with a vengeance. The biggest hospitals, we win. The most doctors, we win. Access to the most information, we win. And we're the most depressed, most anxiety-ridden, most sleepless. Now you got, I saw this the other day, you got all these gummies for everything. I'm like, good grief. There's a gummy for energy and a gummy to go to sleep. You can just gum your way to death. You're just like, I need a gummy. What happened to like the bears? You know, like gummy bears. Did they disappear? And where are the gummy sharks? You know, are the Swedish fish for crying out loud? I mean, where, where are these things? And this is the problem. This is where we're at, guys. We work ourselves into a frenzy. We can't sleep. We can't, we eat poorly and we live ourselves to death. So how do we stop living in constant triage and move to transfer to transformation? 
Well, look at the fifth seal, verse nine. When he opened up the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. And they called out, verse 10, key verse, I think, for this passage. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? How long? And we see this throughout redemptive history, throughout the New Testament, Old Testament. How long will we have to suffer in this peril, Lord Jesus? Help us now. And so for us to move from triage to transformation, there is definitely evidence that we must call out to the one who is the lamb and the one who has authority. We have to call out to him. We have to say, I need help. And many of us have done that. We have stood before Christ in our weakest moment. And we said, I need help. I know that I can't do salvation on my own. I realize that things in this world are in a frenzy. My life's in a frenzy. I'm caught up. God, help me now. And he, we say, Jesus, help me. And he sends him. He sends the Redeemer. He sends the Messiah comes and he's with us and he helps us. But for most of us, that's where we left it. And now we keep going back to triage. We just help them from one huge earthquake to another huge earthquake to another broken relationship to another failed test to another this or another that. And by age 19 or 20, for most of us that are walking around, we're just tired. We're tired because we haven't been transformed. We've trusted, but redemption process, what we call sanctification in the church, we haven't let it have its work in us. And so we still struggle with the same piddly sins that we've always struggled in because we like them, to be honest. And we are living ourselves to death. So when the sixth seal is open and we see the earthquakes and we hear creation being undone, where are we left for transformation? I want you to think about this. Think about a surgeon. Anybody ever had surgery in here? Facial reconstruction? Thank you. Hands all over the house. Amen. Amen. When you have surgery, how did it go? Did you go into the doctor's office and you lay down and the guy's like, hold on one second while I sharpen this here thing. Maybe in Simsboro that's happened for you. But here in a modern day America, what happens is you go in and you say, look, doctor, I have this issue. And the doctor goes, guess what? I'm a general doctor. I don't do cut you. OK, so I'm going to sit you to a cutter. You know what I'm saying? And so you get a little referral action and you go to a place called a hospital and you go in and the nurse goes, the doctor will see you in a few minutes for a consult. And you get this is what I'm going to do to you. This is how it's going to work. You go away, you know, and then 
you got to not eat for a couple of days or something like that, or you got to purge yourself or whatever, you know, kind of you got to get your body ready for something that's fixing to happen to it. And you come back and they put you to sleep, hopefully, you know, hopefully, because if they leave you awake, you need better insurance. And so if they put you to sleep and that you, 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 you know, it's like count backwards from 10 and you're like 10, nine, blah, and you're, you're gone. You wake up and your mom's there and she's feeding you ice chips and you're wondering, how the crap did I get my clothes back on? <laughs> you know, that's how you're like, apparently I'm a magician now. <laughs> I can just be like, clothes on. <laughs> yes. That's how it was for me. My dad said, you flirted with the nurses. I was like, liar. The nurse goes, you're cute. I was like, maybe I did. <laughs> and then I was like, how did I get my, my dad thought it was funny. I had surgery when the Braves, when I was in high school, the Braves, Atlanta Braves were doing really well. And I was really into the Atlanta Braves. And so my dad thought it was funny that after surgery, he took me to lunch with his friends, like his friends, not my friends. And he's like, Casey, tell them about the Braves. And he said, you talked nonstop for 30 minutes about the Atlanta Braves. You were spouting off stats, records. He goes, we're just sitting there and we we're carrying on our own conversation like him and his friends were. And they just look at me and I was over there. Da, 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 da. I was like, that ain't funny, man. That hurts. And he's like, no, it was funny. Trust me. <laughs> and so the surgeon, when he's in there, you know, I always love this. It's like, hey, you're going to come. You're going to be at the hospital about three quarters of a day. Well, how long will the surgery last? Ten minutes. You mean you're going to cut me and do stuff to me? It's going to take you ten minutes? Uh-huh. Oh, the next one's free. You're like, whoa, hate to be the free guy. <laughs> they cut you open. They do whatever they're going to do. And, uh, you know, reshape you, reconnect this, tweak that, whatever it is. But the surgeon is skilled, is he not? He knows exactly what to do. And he comes in and he cuts deep and he knows where the parts are that need to go in the right place. And he begins to reconstruct and reform and renew. And you come out and you're renewed, hopefully. Well, for Christ, that is where he is at in these horsemen. Do you hear me? That is the purpose of these horsemen. They are strategic surgical strikes on the world so that the world will turn to the Father. Does it work? Uh-huh. Earthquake, people turn to Christ. Famine, people turn to Christ. False hope negated, real hope presented, people turn to Christ. War, pestilence, disease, death, people turn to the Father. And so here we are where the dad talk comes in. The point to ponder this evening is pretty difficult. What is or what are the real key issues in your life that are keeping you from living a transformed life? Where do you need the surgeon to do his work? Where do you need the surgeon to study the problem and get to the heart of it. So, Casey, this sounds like any other sermon that I've ever heard on sin. It's not. 
I'm asking you to ask God why you look at porn, not help keep me from it. Help keep me from it is a Band-Aid. That's a Band-Aid, guys. A Band-Aid, that's a patch. That's a crutch to help me get from one tragedy to another, but ask God, why? God, show me why I do this. Ladies, if self-esteem is something that you struggle with, ask God, why do I struggle with self-esteem issues? Why do I struggle with this day in, day out? Why do I not think that I'm pretty enough, smart enough, kind enough? Why do I struggle with these things? What is my deal? God, show me, help me. God, keep me from sticking my finger down my throat. Band-Aid. Definitely he can help you with that. Don't hear me say it, but I'm saying we're followers of Christ. We got to get past the triage and we got to get to the transformation. Do you have the guts? And that's one thing you can definitely pray for. Do you have the bravery to call out to him, to ask God, God, show me why this thing, this sin that so easily ensnares some other people has got me trapped in this cage, in this cycle, in this, Lord, in this frenzy where I feel helpless and hopeless. God, show me why I struggle with this. And so, Casey, that sounds like a psychological thing, like some psychological mumbo-jumbo. Nope, it's not. If he knit you together in, his, in your mother's womb, I guarantee you he can show you why you struggle with X, Y, or Z. The problem is we don't ever stop long enough to say, God, show me why. Help me to see this sin as you see it and understand why I constantly am driven back to this over and over again. Porn is, for, for guys in this room, porn, yes, bad. Don't do it, okay? Don't be in them and don't watch them, all right? Can we just be honest with that, okay? Don't be in them, don't watch them, all right? And beyond that, what are you struggling with? What's the why? Why do you turn it? I'm stressed out. Stressed out. Why are you stressed out? My major's hard. My girlfriend dumped me. I had to stand at a really long line at Chick-fil-A. Whatever it is, whatever stresses you out, and you don't know how to deal with stress. Are there better ways to deal with stress besides watching pornography and masturbating? Uh-huh, there are. Little Debbie. He <laughs> said, well, that doesn't sound, hey, look, it's better than watching porn and spanking your monkey. <laughs> Let's just be honest. But you know what you could do? You know what you could do? You know what you could do? You could go work out. You could go play some ball. You could get outside and get off your screen and get with Jesus. Look, this is big boy talk. This is big girl talk. Ladies, why do you struggle with self-esteem issues? False hope. 
competition, war with yourself, living out of uh, <clears throat> greed instead of grace. And so, well, I don't feel very pretty. You're talking to the wrong boy then. I don't feel very worthy. Jesus died for your sorry tale. Get over it. Sorry, that was probably a little harsh, but he did. He died for you. You're worth the blood of the only Savior and the only Lord. You're his daughter. You're his child. And if some rando boy that walks on two feet thinks otherwise, walk past him. Because there's 20 that'll think totally different. Point to practice. Give the surgeon room to work. This is how you do this. You read God's word daily, and we're doing that here at the church reading God's word daily because then you're inviting the surgeon to be equipped with the sword. You want strategic surgical work done in your life, you have to put the sword in the hands of the Savior. If it is sharper than a two-edged sword, able to pierce to the marrow, then you gotta put it in his hands and you gotta put it in your heart and you gotta read it daily. And you say, Casey, this sounds like every other Bible study that I've ever heard. I need to read my Bible. Well, guess what? It's never gonna change. So either you get with the program or you're gonna be living in triage the rest of your life. You gotta read the instructions for life and they're right here. He says, Casey, I don't like the Bible then you probably have a transformation problem. Most of us in this room can read. Don't point fingers, okay, to those who can't. That is, y'all are really selling each other out tonight, okay? No snickering and bumping people and be like, I know you can't read. Well, read the Bible to them then. Get audio Bible, okay? Two, spend time getting unplugged where you can hear his voice speaking into your life. If we don't listen to the surgeon, then any work he does in us and around us may be in vain. And this is the guy, you know, I, we see this all the time when we go to the hospital, when we visit people that have had heart surgery. They have heart surgery and they get out of heart surgery and they've had a quadruple bypass. That means they had four blockages that were gonna kill them dead. They're a walking time bomb of death. And you know what? They're like, when I get out of here, I'm going right down to Wendy's and get me a triple stack. And you're like, I feel like what just happened to you, you don't totally understand. Triage to triage instead of transformation. Last point to practice, ask yourself, where those real issues are. And let's get past the surface sin and commit to look at sin that we tend to omit. The sin that we commit, we can see that. But the sin that we omit, lust, pride, jealousy, anger, vengeance, selfishness, ask for help 
Man, get counseling if you need it. And as you go to your friends, maybe ask them, some trusted friends, why do you think I do this? Why do you think I act this way? Why do you think that I struggle with this? Verse 17 of this chapter says, basically, who can stand? Who can stand? For the great day of wrath has come. Who can stand? The answer is the redeemed. Those who have been renewed, those whose lives have been transformed because they don't stand out of their own understanding. They stand on solid ground. They stand on Jesus Christ, the solid rock. Revelation 21.5 gives us hope as we have finished Revelation 6. Revelation 21.5 gives us the end where we'll eventually be. It says, He who was seated on the throne or seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And they said, write this down. For these words are true. The question is, will you let him do it in you? Transformation. Or triage. Zach's got a pretty good song for us tonight to conclude on, and I, I'm done. I wish somebody would have preached this to me when I was your age. We, maybe I was dumb or didn't pay attention or didn't take good copious notes or maybe I fell asleep or the girl beside me was too pretty. I have no idea, but I wish somebody would have said something like this to me. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity. You can sing, you can stand, and maybe you can just fall to your knees. If you need prayer, I'm up here. I'm going to ask uh, our interns to come on up and stand with me. Emma's going to come up here and stand with me. And look, if you need prayer and you sit in your seat, you fail. Because we're offering to pray with you. You say, well, Casey, I don't want you to know all the crazy and dumb things that sin. It's so easy. Well, I, ain't for me. No, I don't care. But you better cry out you want transformation to happen. You better run to the Father, the only one, the only one that can transform your life. That's what we're doing. That's it. Zach?